This is a podcast about one of the most extraordinary humans I've ever met. I have to say, throughout my uh, life, lots of people have called me a maverick. I've never felt a maverick. I've, I've always felt a, a, a most a pioneer. I revealed in the first episode of this podcast how, in November 2017, Peter Scott Morgan was diagnosed with motor neurone disease, also known as ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. MND is the incurable disease the scientist Stephen Hawking had. I like creating a new pathway, a new hope, a new opportunity. Peter is a scientist too, with a doctorate in robotics. Now, like Hawking's did, Peter's body is shutting down, and Peter intends to replace it with robotics, becoming the world's first full cyborg, part human, part machine. Soon I won't be able to walk, talk, eat or breathe. I intend to throw technology at this. I don't see myself in some sort of a wheelchair. I see myself in an exoskeleton, maybe with robotic arms, uh, with voice, vision upgrades, and ultimately with my brain interfacing directly into a computer. This is serious cyborg territory, and I intend to be a human guinea pig to see just how far we can turn science fiction into fact. In the second episode of this series, we'll be alongside Peter as he begins to design and build the cyborg he calls Peter 2.0. Peter doesn't just want tech that will move him about, feed him and help him breathe. He seeks a machine to talk for him and even smile for him. Peter is being hugely ambitious because he's aware he's got only one chance at this. The middle of the night, like everybody else, is when my brain processes and as I have too little time during the day to reflect, I tend to wake up um, doing all the thinking I should have done during the day. And I tend to feel a real sense of urgency. Things are moving faster than I'd expected. And there I see more and more opportunities. So I'm getting a closing window, but I see more and more things that if only I work hard enough and bright enough, come up with enough good ideas, persuade enough people to uh, try the research that we can do some really, really interesting things. So the pressure building from two directions. One, there's less and less time and it's going faster than expected. The other, I'm seeing more and more research opportunities that I will never get a chance to do again and I will have a long time to regret if I was a bit slow, a bit lazy, a bit unimaginative. I'll spend the rest of my life regretting the fact that I did not push with every fiber of my being to try and get as much done as possible before I head into that void. It's August 2018. Peter is preparing to take a huge step in his technological transformation. Well, a metaphorical step, as, thanks to MND, 
Peter cannot even stand upright. Intellectually, I sort of understood that people who were disabled can have a, a, a rough time just fitting into the environment. Now I get it. Even in hospitals, I look over this towering reception desk, a lovely face smiles, how are you? And then looks to Francis to find out what's wrong with me and, and just break eye contact. Peter would like to change attitudes, but in the meantime, he seeks a mechanical way of getting upright. That's why Peter and his husband Francis drive out to an industrial estate on the outskirts of Torquay. They're accompanied by a camera crew, which is lucky for us, for posterity and anyone interested in the development of science and technology. In the first episode of this podcast, I explained how the series is built on material captured for a documentary being made by a filmmaker called Matt Pelly. Are you uh, nervous or afraid about the next couple of days? I'm not nervous at all, no. I mean, it, it, it's not that I don't know the risks, but I know that... When Matt died suddenly, I was asked to complete the documentary and agreed to do this podcast too. The sequence of Peter in an industrial estate trying out a piece of tech to help him stand is among the most startling that Matt shot. Peter and Francis are here to meet an engineer called Pete Jones. Pete works for the Swedish company Permobil, whose F5VS is one of the most advanced wheelchairs in the world. Permobil claim that in the F5VS, even someone like Peter, who has no ability to control his legs, can stand. There you go, so if you just push that forward, that will, uh, that will lift you up. A lot hinges on what happens next. If it doesn't work, for Peter, it's back to the drawing board almost before he's begun. This is the pièce de résistance. Yeah. My expectations are unreasonably high. If Peter can stand, he has the first key building block of the machine he'll live inside. Peter 2.0 will be up, if not yet quite running. Okay, strange feelings. I am doing nothing. I'm absolutely relaxing my muscles, which is a strange thing to do when you want to stand. And now I'm being lifted. This is very strange. I'm being stretched out. I am completely flopping. And yet I am standing. Good heavens. Remember, Peter has not been upright for six months. I am taller than everybody. <laughs> and <laughs> it's quite extraordinary. It really is. Just being able to stand and look around. It's amazing. It really is. First time I have looked around. Whenever I, I stood before, I was always looking at my feet to not fall over. And then with a, a stick, with a frame. Um, and 
intellectually I knew that uh, it would feel good. I am unprepared for the emotion of not only uh, being able to look look down on people for heaven's sake, not even just looking in the eye, um, but of being able to relax in a standing position, and that's a weird uh, feeling. And for the first time in your life, people can look up to you. There, well, there had to be a moment. <laughs> I, I know, I will, I, I will pull this lever and everything will go back to normal, but for this moment, the word looks up to me. <laughs> I love the I've idea. I've always looked up to you. I thank you, darling. <laughs> I, 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 I do love the idea. Now I appreciate it. I thought I stood. And I now realise I'm about 10 centimetres off the ground. So it's not that I, I stand and I look people mm. in the eye. I stand tall. I stand taller than I have ever stood. Um, and as opposed to being in a wheelchair, where psychologically and literally people look down on me, there is a part of me, it is dawning as I think about it, a part of me that rather likes the idea of completely flipping that dynamic and actually being that little bit intimidated. <laughs> and if I combine that with suddenly turning on a Darth Vader voice on my synthesizer, they're going to piss themselves. It's going to be brilliant. I love it. This is so much more than I, I had appreciated. Not surprisingly, after such an astoundingly successful test drive, Peter decides to buy himself a Permobil wheelchair. Peter had a successful career in business as well as science, but living with MND is expensive. He and Francis have paid for home remodeling, a wheelchair accessible car and hired carers. At £23,000, the wheelchair is not cheap. But Peter decides to buy it because for Peter, this is more than a wheelchair. In the first episode of this podcast, we covered the initial stage of Peter's transformation, in which he went into hospital for a major operation to have his abdomen replumbed so he can take in nutrients and dispose of waste automatically. And this is the replacement. So we've got solids and fluids in, Fluids out, solids out. It's as simple as that. I'm set for life. Eventually, his food and waste tanks will be fitted into his permobile chair and go everywhere with him. He'll just need to be filled up and emptied once a day. It won't just be a chair. It'll be Peter's life support system. Having seen Peter upright in his chair, I feel I've glimpsed Peter 2.0 and the sight of his frail body strapped into this large and powerful machine makes me realise how unique he will be as a cyborg, but also, strangely, how human. Just a different kind of human.
I'm reminded of something Peter said before he set out on his journey. He linked his readiness to make a technological transformation with his sexuality. I grew up with people telling me what it was to be a real man. And I never accepted their version, their definition of what that was. Now, I'm talking of adding bits of tech kit and technology to me. And it will be interesting whether people say, well, are you still a, a human? Are you still a real man? To me, the answer to both, whether it's with regard gender or whether it's regard being a cyborg, is what makes you human is not what you look like. It's not even the physical bits on you. It's what's up here. Peter raises a feeble finger to point to his brain. Francis, his husband, agrees that Peter's daring attitude to becoming a cyborg may originate in their sexuality. We've always had to break the rules, if you like, or, or not live by them, because the rule book, as we were together, was only men and women could get married. And now, of course, with motor neuron disease, uh, the rule is you curl up and die for most people. I think just as with regards sexuality, our view of what it means to be human, it's the boundaries that are getting broader and bigger and more inclusive and more tolerant. And I suspect over the next 50 to 100 years, what we consider to be human will be a wider range and a broader spectrum than even I view today. Peter has no doubts about becoming Peter 2.0. But what about the nuts and bolts of his transformation? How will his cyborg move, touch, talk, when Peter can't? It's October 2018. It's been a few months since Peter ordered his permobile chair, but it still hasn't arrived. So Peter, in his old chair, and accompanied as ever by husband Francis and the camera crew, returned to the university where, over 40 years ago, Peter did a PhD in robotics, Imperial College. So how do you feel coming back to college then? Really? No exam nerves like oh, you used to no. get. No. This used to be the robotics lab. Yeah. This, I is, this, this is where I did my PhD. Peter controls his powered wheelchair using a joystick on one of the arms, and he races excitedly ahead of Francis. He'll drive the permobile chair with a similar control. But what about when he can no longer move his fingers? That's why he's here at Imperial College, to test a self-driving system. We'll be next to you, there's an emergency stop, we're here. But I think, as I said, this is not even a prototype. <laughs> but it doesn't work yet. In fact, its erratic behaviour leaves Peter somewhat shaken. Self-driving wheelchairs will surely come just as self-driving cars will. But it's clear from Peter's test drive that this technology won't be available to him 
for many years. And given the rate of progress of Peter's MND, which has already paralysed his arms, he'll probably be unable to drive his wheelchair himself within a year. So Peter 2.0 will require someone else to push him around. It's a setback. I am probably as stressed as I have ever been in this project so far. Strikingly, in all the hundreds of hours of footage that Matt shot, including many in-depth interviews, Peter never once admits defeat. But this moment is as bad as it gets, which is surely revealing. Peter admits he's absolutely feeling the pressure of being a lone pioneer, of doing something nobody has ever done before, while his body is falling apart. I can't look around and find out how do we do this. So I'm feeling the, the pressure that if this research is actually going to provide any value to people, we have to pull a number of rabbits out of the hat. And at the moment, I don't quite see how we're going to do it. We've got to, but I feel the pressure of complete ignorance as to how it's going to resolve. The winter of 2018 continues to be extremely tough because it's not just Peter's ability to move about that's beginning to deteriorate. Everyone with MND progresses differently. There are no rules. Two months ago, for the first time, I noticed I couldn't swallow quite as well. I couldn't speak quite as well. I, every 15 seconds or so, I would just slightly slur a word, uh, which at nine o'clock at night, people assume you've been drinking nine o'clock in the morning is a bit more embarrassing. Eventually, Peter will lose the power of speech entirely, but he believes this too can be fixed with technology. The scientist Stephen Hawking, who also suffered from MND, used a computer to speak for him. Bringing science to the people brings people into science. This matters to me, to you, to the world as a whole. Hawking's robotic voice became part of his personality. But Peter doesn't want to be Hawking 2.0. He wants to be Peter 2.0. I'm interested in having a voice which, first of all, sounds really like me rather than robotic me, and also that can put some expression into voice. Because if you're just talking really just in a monotone, it's rather like sending a text without any emoticons. So I, I, I want to see how far we can push that. My whole house shook. My whole house shook. I felt quite moved. I felt quite moved. That was the sound of Peter in an audio studio banking his voice. In late 2018, he spends weeks remorselessly recording thousands and thousands of words and phrases from We're working flat out to Please take him off 
please take him off. These recordings are then sent to an Edinburgh-based scientist called Matthew Aylett, who runs a company called Saraproc, which synthesizes people's voices. For Matthew, Peter's recordings are a treasure trove. But even more valuable is Peter's ambition to push the boundaries of what a synthetic voice is capable of. Working with Peter is a great opportunity. And it's a great opportunity because I know we have various systems in place that we can develop. I know if we work closely with someone who's really got the motivation to make these things work, we can change the way the technology, we can move forward what people see as the current state of the art with this technology. Later, we'll hear the voice Matthew Aylett creates for Peter. And, more importantly, so will Peter. It's very moving. Because when he listens to the voice that his cyborg will have, his own biological voice is already failing. One door will be closing, but will another open? His voice is not the only human communication that Peter intends to hand over to his cyborg. Using a computer graphic of his face displayed on a video screen, Peter 2.0 will have an avatar that mouths the words his synthetic voice speaks and even smiles and frowns. His cyborg must have this capability because in time, Peter himself won't. I don't just want to preserve my voice. I want to try to preserve my personality. And that means my face, I want to be able to smile when somebody comes into the room, raise a critical eyebrow. And for that, I need an avatar controlled by a computer, but basically move as I intend it to move, even though my muscles will soon stop. Peter begins work on his avatar in late 2018. It involves him going to Britain's equivalent of a Hollywood studio, Pinewood. I'm Elliot. Elliot, good to see you. At Pinewood, Peter's face is photographed to give animators the raw material with which to create a 3D model of it. There there are a few cameras here. How many on this rig? 60. Only 60. Only 60. It looks a little bit like a time machine, but... I love time machines. (laughs) I grew up on Doctor Who. Of course, I adore time machines. Just as he's banking his voice, Peter is banking his facial expressions. Okay, Peter, we're going to do a neutral expression now. And how long does that go on for? Literally a second. Less than a second. And three, two, one. Just like that, it's done. A few hours later, sat in his car outside the studio at Pinewood, Peter seems pumped up about this part of the project. Increasingly, the thought that even as my facial muscles shut down, I will still be able to smile, show expression, talk, uh, is really, really important to me. Very, very exciting. And I am really looking forward to seeing what sort of avatar we're able to get out of this. But Peter knows his voice and avatar will be useless unless he can fix a fundamental problem. How will Peter tell Peter 2.0 what to express. It's all very well having a synthetic voice and face, but how can he control his cyborg when he can't even lift a finger to type out a word? 
Peter spoke about this problem at the start of his journey, and he was hugely optimistic. The brain, basically, that's going to be the one bit of me that hopefully keeps working. Everything else, all the rest of my body, given I won't be moving, all the rest of my body is there in order to keep my brain going. So, what are the other things that I can do there? Well, there's a vast amount of research behind closed doors that's going on. I really want to get my hands on uh, finding out just what's going on. And if there's an opportunity to get involved in that, sure as heck, they've got a human guinea pig raring to go. There is an established technology used by MND sufferers who become locked in. It's called eye gaze. Infrared cameras would track Peter's pupils as he looked at an interactive computer screen. When his gaze lingered on one of the screen's icons, it would be as though he was touching it with his eyes. Expert eye gazers have been known to communicate at about 20 words per minute. But as voice synthesizer Matt Aylett explains, that's far short of a fully able human. Conversation is very, very fast. We speak at about 250, 300 words per minute, which is faster than nearly anyone can type, if they're completely able to type. And we respond within 200 milliseconds. If it takes more than 200 milliseconds, people wonder why it takes so long. Trying to produce systems which can help support that interactive element of speech is a real challenge. And um, working directly with Peter and these other systems and devices allows us to try and bring things together. When Peter starts to address this problem, he enters a strange world where the technology begins to feel like magic and the impossible becomes actual. Hello. Hello there. Hi, Peter. In early winter 2018, Peter makes a video call to Gervin Shawk a scientist based on the east coast of America. Gervin is a pioneer in the technology of brain-computer interfaces, or BCI, systems for plugging a computer direct into a human brain. During the video call, Gervin demonstrates his BCI for Peter. One of Gervin's students wears a skull cap, which has sensors inside that monitor the brain's activity. With this the student can spell out words without moving a muscle, just by thinking. Peter, that, uh, you can uh, pick something uh, for uh, Alex to spell. Well, why not P for Peter? P for P, okay, so the, the, the character P and then the, the word for and then uh, Peter? If you can do that, that would be very impressive. That's great. Well, let's see if we can do that. The student wearing the skull cap looks at a screen containing the entire alphabet, the numbers 1 to 9 and a space bar. Whenever the letter or number he wants is lit up, the student thinks, correct. And the cap senses this reaction. So that whole process uh, took, uh, what, about three minutes maybe? Yeah, something like that. Something like that, three minutes, and he uh, spelled exactly what you asked for. Uh, with that is so, so impressive. And, and, and of course, we could have uh, sped it up some, and maybe then uh, he would have made a, a couple of mistakes, maybe. Peter has been gracious and complimentary about the research he's been shown by Gervin Shawk. But it's clear this is not going to provide Peter 2.0 with human-like instantaneous communication. It's back to the drawing board.
Not all the footage I see is of Peter exploring the outer fringes of high-tech. There are also very touching scenes, revealing the increasing struggle he and Francis have just to get by, as the MND destroys Peter's body's ability to function. With his motor neuron disease now paralysing his upper body, it's a three-hour routine just to get Peter up in the morning, then two hours to get to bed every evening. Cover him up with that, then we can undress him later. Hello, sweetheart. And because he's finding it hard to get air into his lungs, Peter sleeps in a breathing mask. A few weeks ago, I got a cold. And in the middle of the night, uh, with my NIV mask on, I got a bit of phlegm uh, somewhere uh, around my throat. My throat shut and I could not breathe. It was pretty awful. I have to say it was pretty scary because that, that yeah, sound when somebody up. can't breathe of... <gasps> it's an awful sound. And yeah, I jumped out of bed and um, fumbled with the light and ripped his mask off and got some water for him to sip. Um, it was saliva, so drinking some water relieved it, which is brilliant. It was pretty awful. I watched Peter lying immobile and helpless on his bed as Francis straps him into his breathing mask. It doesn't look cosy. In fact, I wonder how he manages to sleep at all in it. But, as Peter explains in another interview, he's not sleeping so well now anyway. The middle of the night, like everybody else, is when my brain processes. And as I have too little time during the day, to reflect, I tend to wake up um, doing all the thinking I should have done during the day. And I tend to feel a real sense of urgency. Things are moving faster than I'd expected. One, I, there's less and less time and it's going faster than expected. The other, I'm seeing more and more research opportunities that I will never get a chance to do again and I will have a long time to regret if I was a bit slow, a bit lazy, a bit unimaginative. I'll spend the rest of my life regretting the fact that I did not push with every fibre of my being to try and get as much done as possible before I head into that void. So, with time running out, Peter makes a radical decision. It will take him into uncharted territory where the boundary between human and machine is blurred. Because if Peter can't give his brain instantaneous control over his cyborg's communications, he must let his cyborg speak for itself. So, at the heart of Peter 2.0 will be an onboard computer with an artificial intelligence, pre-programmed to communicate like Peter does. While many might have doubts about assigning control of their personality to a machine, Peter isn't like most people. Now you imagine that that computer is not just a computer, but an artificial intelligence. And now you start seeing the opportunities to really be in a very interesting place where, yeah, I wouldn't be able to move around like old Peter. So people would say, oh, what a shame he got MND but I'd be able to do some things that other people couldn't do at all. 
and it would be a real trade-off to say which is better, which is more advanced. And I would certainly be able to look people in the eye, albeit through a television, and say, I'm not just surviving, I'm thriving. Towards the end of the busy winter of 2018, Peter's wheelchair finally arrives all the way from Sweden. It's taken months to adapt it to Peter's demanding spec, but will it give him what he wants? Will it be the basis of Peter 2.0? That's the question that's clearly in Peter's mind when he's talking just before the machine wheels through the front door. Yay! (laughs) Wonderful. Well done. That really is so impressive. The chair is enormous. With bulky screens for his communication system in front and shelves at the back for life support. In fact, it can barely move around the house. At one point, Peter spends 20 minutes stuck in a doorway. But really, these are teething problems. And the camera catches Peter lifting himself into standing position to stare out the window, as he hasn't done for about a year now. Peter does have the basis of his cyborg and is everything that he expected. But it'll soon become clear that all Peter has done so far is the easy stuff. In the next episode of this podcast, we'll follow Peter as he builds the artificial intelligence he hopes will give his cyborg the ability to talk like a human. And there's an added twist. Aware this is something he can't do alone, He approaches some of the biggest tech companies in the world to join the project he calls Peter 2.0. But even if he can recruit Microsoft or Intel, Accenture or DXE, the technical challenge is immense. And the psychological strain on Peter will only increase as his condition worsens. It's like trying to build a lifeboat after the ship has already started sinking. It's a race against time. For more information on Peter's progress, visit scottmorganfoundation.org.uk. This podcast was written and presented by me, Chris Derlacher. The production team was Agatha Mastelesh and Helen McCauley-Stewart. Music composed by Sandy Nutkins. Produced by Bernard P.I. Champong. Executive producer is Pat Young. An unedited production for Cardiff Productions. This podcast was made possible with funding from The Welcome.